Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. On the web at birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart. Go to bostonharborislands.org for more information. This is an encore presentation of the Talking Birds show from the cool month of February. We hope you like it, and we'll be back with an all-new show next week. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 561. Well, here we are in the bleak midwinter, at least up here in the northern tier of states. A time of year when birds have zero interest in the spring nesting season, right? Well, not exactly. In fact, the National Wildlife Federation suggests that right now in the middle of winter is a perfect time to put up backyard birdhouses because the cold months are actually when many species are shopping for nesting places. Eastern bluebirds, for example, start looking for a nest site in February and March since they lay their first eggs in April. So the suggestion is to have boxes up no later than March 1st. Of course, what you put up and where depends on what birds you're trying to get to nest in your yard. And a visit to our Talking Birds Facebook page will connect you to more from the National Wildlife Federation's guidelines on just how to do it. And speaking of that Facebook page, here are some things we hope you'll find interesting right there, right now. Here's one. What would it be like to live in an apartment, in an apartment that attaches to the side of a building like the nest of a cliff swallow? A New York architect wants you to find out. Eagle versus drone. Dutch police are training birds of prey to grab those pesky little aircraft right out of the sky. And Harley and Maxwell, a couple of creative cockatoos, will link you to a couple of crazy, amazing videos there. Some of the things uh, right now on our Facebook page at Talking Birds. And speaking of those drones, by the way, Kevin McGowan from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology will be with us here on the show in a couple of weeks to talk about that subject of drones along with more about great birds of prey, like bald eagles. Here's our blog this week. Humans are not the only ones with a junk food problem. Seabirds following fishing boats have their own issues, especially when it comes to providing proper nutrition for their young ones. That's on this week's blog, easily found at TalkingBirds.com. Well, our National Park Service is celebrating its 100th anniversary this year, and if you happen to have a fourth grader at home, you'll want to listen carefully in a moment here for some more valuable info about the wonderful Every Kid in a Park initiative. And if you're a young Talking Birds listener in Canada, we have some tips for you on how you might be able to take part in a very special Young Ornithologists workshop. All of this and more Right now, in this morning's installment of Charlotte's Weblog with our Charlotte Wasilek. Good morning, Charlotte. Good morning, Ray. The new National Park Service program, Every Kid in a Park, is on both Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow along for updates on the initiative 
helpful links and suggestions for getting active outdoors. Find all the information and more at everykidnapark.gov. I have more photos up on my blog from my recent trip to Banff, Alberta. Clark's Nutcrackers, Elk, and Red Squirrels are among the photos I have posted on my website, prairiebirder.com. The Long Point Bird Observatory in Long Point, Ontario is now taking applications for their Young Ornithologist Workshop. Space is limited to six young Canadian birders ages 13 to 17. Applications are due by April 30th and you can download the form and find more information at birdscanada.org under the Education tab. I highly recommend this workshop for young birders who would like to learn about banding birds, connect with others, and bird one of the most amazing locations in Canada. I was a participant four years ago and it remains one of my favorite birding experiences. That's all for this week, Ray. I'll talk to you next time. That's this morning's installment of Charlotte's Weblog. Be sure to check out great bird photos and a whole lot more from Charlotte upon the prairies of Alberta, Canada at prairiebirder.com. That's prairiebirder.com. And thank you, Charlotte. And still to come on our show today, we take a look at another of the many threats to bird survival, TV and radio towers. And we welcome a special guest who will explain how turning off some of the lights on those towers may help solve the problem. We'll also present installment number two of our new Let's Ask Mike live segment with Mike O'Connor from Cape Cod's Birdwatcher's General Store. And now we head out toward the other coast, way out west, to meet a bird whose name is misspelled. Maybe more than any other species, it's today's Talking Birds. Featured Feathered Friend. If you took a blue jay, enlarged it a bit, stretched out its crest, removed the white markings from its wings and tail, and changed its upper half to black or dark blue, you'd have a jay that's stellar. That's S-T-E-L-L-E-R, as in Georg Wilhelm Steller, the German botanist, zoologist, and explorer after whom the Steller's jay is named. Way back in 1740, Steller was part of an expedition to the Kamchatka Peninsula in Russia's far east from where he made his way to Alaska's Kayak Island. While he was exploring there, he became the first European to describe numerous North American plants and animals, including the jay that was later named for him. In his brief study of the bird, Steller was able to determine that it was related to the blue jay, offering some proof that Alaska was indeed part of North America. The Stellar's jay completely replaces the blue jay in the coniferous forests of the western half of North America, with a range that extends from Alaska to northern Nicaragua. And in Colorado, there are reports of Stellar's jay and blue jay hybrids. The blue jay's vocalizations are sometimes described as harsh and strident, but they're downright musical compared to these calls of the Stellar's jay. Like its blue jay cousin, the Stellar's jay is an excellent mimic that can imitate birds, squirrels, cats, dogs, chickens, and even mechanical objects. Here's a stellar interpretation of a red-tailed hawk. Hmm, 
Not as good as a Blue Jay's red tail imitation, maybe, but not bad. The Stellar's Jay, Cyanocita stellari. Today's Talking Birds featured Feathered Friend. Thanks again for being with us here on our show number 561. Hope you'll visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. We have some new stuff there. And uh, please visit us on our Facebook and Twitter pages, too, at Talking Birds. Well, last we heard, nearly 7 million birds are killed every year in the U.S. by crashing into communications towers, those big TV and, yes, radio towers. Dr. Al Manville was the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service's national lead on avian structural impacts under the Division of Migratory Bird Management, retiring in 2014, and was instrumental in developing new guidelines to reduce the impact of lighted communications towers on migratory birds that crash into them. And he joins us on the phone now from just outside of Washington, D.C. Good morning, Al. Morning, Ray. How are you this morning? I'm well, thank you. We got a lot of snow cover here, but uh, it's uh, looking pretty nice. We're melting here, so that's good. Well, you have a lot to melt still, don't you, John? <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Indeed. You got clobbered. Well, Al, if I understand this correctly, a new FAA directive says that those non-flashing lights on the sides of TV and radio towers should be shut off and that big towers should use only flashing lights. Uh, is that roughly correct? And if so, what's the reasoning and what's the impact? Well, uh, actually, the FAA directive uh, allows the um, extinguishing of the so-called steady red LA-10 lights. Um, mm -hmm. The Federal Communications Commission has actually come out with regulations where effective immediately um, t uh, new towers over 350 feet uh, cannot have these steady red lights on them. And then over uh, beginning in September, towers... Uh, 151 to 350 feet uh, uh, also will not uh, be allowed uh, for new construction to have lighting. But the lighting issue is a, is a big deal, and it's been followed for years. The first published issue about tower collision and lighting uh, occurred in 1948 in Baltimore, Maryland, at a radio tower. And I know when I uh, was a brand-new branch chief with the Division of Migratory Bird Management back in early 1998 uh, there was a single night um, collision event out in western Kansas where some 10,000 Lapland longspurs and meadowlarks and others uh, collided uh, with three communication towers and there was a uh, lighted gas pumping station near the ground which the thought was uh, had attracted them. So that, uh, that brought the attention of the issue uh, front and center to the Fish and Wildlife Service and I had as a scientist been following this a little bit before, but this really uh, got us more involved. And long story short, um, we ultimately uh, started to try to look at more closely the effects of lighting on migratory birds, other than what had been published in, in the literature by folks like uh, Dr. Sid Guthrow and Michael Avery and certainly others. And uh, we, um, the service uh, participated, and I had the privilege of chairing the Communication Tower Working Group. We developed a research subcommittee of that group to try to begin to move forward. Meanwhile, in 2000, in your intro, you mentioned that uh, the service uh, created uh, voluntary Communication Tower guidelines. I had the privilege of co-authoring that and then updated that in 2013 with the new lighting standards. Um, 
uh, service was involved in, in rulemaking uh, with the FCC, which began around 2006, and that's, that's continuing. And then in uh, oh, around 2003, there was an opportunity to begin a major study in Michigan, uh, putting money uh, from the Michigan Attorney General's office into a research effort um, looking at uh, state police communication towers and three tall communication towers around the state to try to determine, okay, what, what about lighting, these steady red lights, does it make a difference if we turn them off? And um, to, the, um, to the praise of the Federal Aviation Administration, they provided us a variance to actually allow us to turn off these so-called L810 steady red lights and then use... Um, white-strobed or red-strobe or strobe-like lights and compare the results of what happened when the lights were turned off. And to our amazement, um, in cases where the lights were turned off on these tall towers, um, mortality dropped by as much as 71%, which was highly significant. Mm. So it's like, whoa, we're on to something here, which clearly there had been other evidence in the past, but this was pretty definitive. And then Dr. Joelle Gehring, who was our principal investigator at the time, she also, uh, I got some money from the U.S. Coast Guard, and so we did a study on a what's called Rescue 21 project for the Coast Guard, looking at the same kind of effects. Did, did this lighting, um, by reducing it or eliminating it, have the same impact on birds? And basically the results from the Coast Guard study replicated the results from the Michigan State Police study. Mm -hmm. So, bottom line, we wanted to try to get the FAA to change their lighting variants. They had a, a, a circular which they had updated in 2007, um, and we began the process. Um, to Joel's credit, she really pushed this hard. Um, she um, was very diligent and, and working with MI also was involved quite a bit, but not as much as she. And then ultimately, uh, she became the Federal Communication Commission's wildlife biologist on staff, so she's been working in that position. And um, finally, um, to the credit of the FAA, they uh, implemented uh, this change in, in lighting. Um, they don't like to call it regulations, but I, I think that's what they are, basically saying that, that uh, we can now eliminate the steady-burning red lights. They did what are called pilot conchus beauty studies to make sure that, and, and I'm a pilot and I do fly at night or have in the past, um, these, this lighting change makes it visible to, to pilots, and certainly it worked. And so, uh, to their credit, recognizing that they have clearly other priorities, not to mention budget and, and aircraft uh, safety and national security, and today with the Super Bowl drones mm -hmm. flying around the, the stadium, uh, they, have, uh, they have gone out of their way to, to protect migratory birds, and, and I think they're due a lot of credit. So um, mm -hmm. the thought is, based on what we have seen from research studies, uh, ours in Michigan and, and Joel's uh, with the Coast Guard in Michigan and New Jersey and elsewhere, that um, if we could get these lights eliminated on all towers, um, that could eliminate mortality essentially back of the envelope by at least 50%. Um, I guess once we start moving on this, and the FCC is already moving, um, um, the FAA's uh, circular provides the opportunity to move forward. They have some paperwork requirements uh, that have to be supplied to them as, as lighting is changed out, but, but uh, um, that doesn't look like any, any great difficulty. And in the long run, this is going to, if we can get the industry, particularly 
the towers that are out there now with the steady burning red lights, if we can get those extinguished, uh, and uh, they, they can be on existing towers, that's going to save the industry uh, a lot of expense, both in energy and maintenance costs. Uh, um, the changes are, are relatively inexpensive, and, you know, we're going to be doing some good things for migratory birds. And the, the frustration with, with the migratory bird populations in this country, there are 1,027 birds that are protected by the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. Uh, and of those birds, um, 36% or over 366 of them are in decline, in some cases a serious decline. So this is, a, this is a real challenge. And from a Fish and Wildlife Service perspective where they can use conservation measures uh, to avoid or minimize mortality and injuries to birds, that's the direction that they want to go. And that's exactly what the Communication Tower Guidelines uh, recommend. Um, I, since I co-authored them, I'm pretty familiar with them. Um, they, um, um, they're going to reduce mortality, and um, if we could reduce, you know, you mentioned in your opening comments, 7 million birds are estimated killed in the U.S. by communication towers each year. That's, a, that's, that's pretty close to probably what it is, and if we could cut that in at least one half, that would be doing the birds a real service, and uh, with all these declines and all the other things that are happening, uh, the, what I call the, the cumulative effects uh, to migratory birds. And you, you begin at the top with, with uh, impacts from domestic and feral cats. That's estimated at a median number of 2.4 billion mm-hmm. birds per year, which is astronomical. Collisions with buildings up to a billion birds per year. And then pesticides, over 92 million uh, in, in one study. Wire collisions at uh, uh, distribution and transmission wires up to 12 million electric wire, uh, um, uh, excuse me, uh, electrocutions up to 12 million, wire collisions up to 57 million, uh, and then commercial wind, to- uh, wind turbines and so on, uh, 700,000 or so per year, and then you add uh, another 7 million, and all the other, the natural mortality, and then these, these other um, human-related mortality issues. Suddenly, the question comes up, well, which straw is going to break, break the camel's back? Mm-hmm. What, what? Mortality impact is going to, um, you know, reverse bird populations, uh, put them in a in a spiral dive, and then of course we have to add climate change, which is a, a huge issue. Mm-hmm. And so here, if we can do good things, and it, I, I want to point out, Ray, it's not just communication towers; it's it's lighting on other tall structures like the Washington Monument, uh, like bridges, uh, like the top of wind turbines, uh, like tall buildings, where we can phase out these steady-burning red lights that are really attractive to birds, particularly when they're migrating at night and when you have inclement weather events occurring, then that's going to make a real difference. And that's kind of the direction we're headed here. And, of course, I'm no longer fed, so, you know, I can push this uh, Mm -hmm. from my teaching role at Johns Hopkins University or uh, from my role as a consultant. But but, uh, hopefully the the Fish and Wildlife Service will continue to to push this effort. So I would say it's a very positive step in the right direction. and, Mm -hmm. And all those involved should be uh, applauded for this effort. Lots of challenges, but uh, making progress certainly on some fronts. Definitely. Dr. Al Manville was U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service's national lead on avian structural impacts with the Division of Migratory Bird Management. Al, thanks so much for telling us about the developments and for your work in uh, helping us to make some progress for bird survival. You're most welcome, Ray, and you have a good Super Bowl Sunday. And your prediction is? (laughs) 
<laughs> I would say uh, Carolina, but you know, I'm hopeful that that uh, Peyton will will uh, prevail. So we'll see. That's why they play the game, as they say. You got it. Up next, it's our mystery bird contest. In just one minute. It kind of freaks me out that some people actually go through their trash to pull out recyclables. That's not for me. Maria Inez Phillips talks about not recycling. I've got too many newspapers and magazines and catalogs in there with plastic containers and bottles and cans. In your recycling bin? No, in my trash. Your trash can is full of recyclables? No, it's full of trash. You say trash, Maria. I say rubbish. Whatever it is, I'm not going through it. I don't even know what they do with recyclables. They make more of the things you use, Maria. More newspapers, more bottles and cans. Out of a bunch of trash? I just don't get it. Some things are very obvious, Maria. Recycling creates jobs and protects the environment. Is that important to you? It is, which is why I put my trash where it belongs. Learn the difference between trash and recycling and more on our website, yougottobekidding.org. I put out way too much trash to think about recycling. See why recycling is not rubbish. Visit yougottobekidding.org today. Mystery Bird Contest, you're eligible if you haven't won here on Talking Birds in the past six months. Let's get right to it. Our number, we urge you to call as soon as possible. You're listening to an encore presentation of a Talking Birds show from back in February. We'll have an all-new show next week. Our prize is the brand-new Droll Yankees Cutest Chickadee Feeder. Perfect size for your chickadees and a lifetime warranty against squirrel damage is included. And here is the sound of our mystery bird. It's a bird with a large head and a tiny bill, but a big mouth. Very well camouflaged in colors of brown, black, and gray with a white band across its throat. Our bird is found in grassy or shrubby areas in the western states where it feeds on night-flying insects. It is one of the few birds known or thought to hibernate during the winter. What is it? 781-837-4900. 781-837-4900. Tell us what it is or take your guess. 781-837-4900 on our mystery bird contest. Meanwhile, we go to Let's Ask Mike live in just one minute. I'm Katie Fallon, author, wildlife rehabilitator, and bird watcher. Some of my favorite songbirds are in trouble. The cerulean warbler, the wood thrush, the golden-winged warbler. Fewer and fewer of these birds return each spring to our forests and farms. The perils they face seem almost insurmountable. Deforestation, loss of habitat, and climate change. The good news is that we can help these migratory birds by drinking coffee certified as bird-friendly. The bird-friendly label means that the coffee beans were grown in a way that protects important habitat in the tropics. Bird-friendly coffee shrubs grow in the shade of the forest's canopy. The trees above the coffee provide homes for overwintering warblers, thrushes, and vireos. A bird-friendly farm also protects the soil and water and creates a healthy working environment. Birds and Beans brand coffee is certified as bird-friendly, organic, and fair trade. This rich, flavorful coffee is a win for the coffee drinker, a win for the farmers, a win for the birds, and a win for the planet we share. Mike O'Connor from the legendary, the famous Bird Watchers General Store on Cape Cod is with us. Good morning, Mike. Hey, legendary. I like the way that sounds. Good morning, Ray. Would you like your uh, music to open the program? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) because this is kind of the tradition, so there it is. A little uh, Let's Ask Mike music, just so everybody knows it's really you. All right. 
so I feel better now. <laughs> so, Mike, I understand you have uh, lots of robins uh, down your way. You know, people still think of robins as the harbinger of spring, but of course we have them around these parts around here all year round, right? We absolutely do, yeah. We got robins, especially. I did the thought that a lot of them come down from the north up by Canada. You hear mm-hmm. people call, say that word. The Canadian robins are here. Yeah. And it's, you know, I guess you can tell the difference. Some of them are a little bit darker. People think they're fatter, but there's no evidence of that. But they do get a little darker, especially the males. But whatever they are, there's a lot of them, or at least around here. The, the, the whole Cape seems to be shaking with robins lately. I think the introduction of this crummy weather that we've had covered up a lot of natural food sources in the winter they they tend to eat berries and the berries are getting covered over so they're in people's yards going more for the ornamental plants like hollies and junipers and things and boy my yard is just crazy crazy loaded with them the last couple of days just it it it, it really looks like old time you would think when the birds are all flying by well we got that going on here now and we had the same thing last winter and so Customers were all coming up with ideas what to do because of the really bad winter we had last year. So everybody gave me some suggestions, you know, based on their own experiences. So, um, so people said, all right, here's what we do. We do chopped apples, we do raisins, and we do grapes. We cut up grapes and put them out. So I said, all right, I'm going to do a test. So I put out a plate of chopped apples, raisins and cranberries because i didn't have any grapes and i figured let's make a capy on two of the cranberries <laughs> right and it turned out um the chopped apples were a hit hmm. the, the robin came out of their way to eat these chopped up chopped apples just little bits of apples chop yep. them up and uh then they went to the raisins and um and i put this out last winter and the cranberries i put out last winter is still there really? nobody okay. wanted the cranberries so, um, no offense, Ocean Spray, but uh, you're not going to have a big market for the, the robin crowd. <laughs> All right. No cranberries. Put the apples out. Chop up apples. You'll up. get a ton of robins. They'll appreciate it. Thanks for being on with us live, Mike. Talk to you next week, Ray. All right. Mike yeah. O'Connor, Birdwatch's General Store on Cape Cod. It's a legendary place in the town of Orleans. Next time you visit Cape Cod, be sure to visit the Birdwatcher's General Store. Meanwhile, back at the Mystery Bird Contest, here's our Mystery Bird. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. You think you can identify that bird. Let's try uh, Meredith, who's in... We have Meredith, uh, Jesse, in Rockland, Massachusetts. Good morning, Meredith. Good morning. How are you today? Um, well, thanks. Any robins in your yard? I haven't seen any this morning. I'm looking. <laughs> All right. Let us know if you spot any. Well, this mystery bird will probably not be in your yard, I'm guessing, but what do you guess it is or say it My is, My guess Meredith? is a... Uh... Um, the tifted uh, titmouse? The, the tifted uh, titmouse or the tufted titmouse. Yes. No, it isn't. It is not a, a titmouse. But thanks okay, for the try. You. All right, keep Thank looking you. for those robins, uh, Meredith. Uh, John is in Hanover, Massachusetts. Good morning, John. Hi. How are things in Hanover, John? How are you doing with the snow? Uh, pretty cool. I live down by the river. It's... Uh Real, real beautiful today. All right. It is beautiful. We got, uh, for those in different parts of the world here, we got some heavy, wet snow that is clinging to the trees, causing lots of problems, but it is very beautiful. Yeah, it's really cool. It's melting down. It's like a, a symphony out there, you know, mm-hmm. there's geese chirping in the back. And yeah, it's really cool. Absolutely right. A symphony. I like that. Well, what do you think our mystery bird is? I'm going to take a wild guess and say the cactus wren. <laughs> cactus wren. You're laughing at your own guess. <laughs> it's not a cactus wren. It's out of the right part of the country, but not the right bird. 
Yeah. All right. We'll try this again. Okay, thanks. Okay, thanks for the call. 781-837-4900 is the number on our mystery bird contest. There's that mystery bird again. What do you think it is? We have, uh, let's say, Donald in Abington, Massachusetts. All Massachusetts all the time here this morning. Good morning, Donald. Good morning, Ray. How are you? You sound I'm terrific. Do- yeah, I'm doing good. All right. What do you say on the mystery bird contest? Ray, is, it, is it the common powwow? Now you're doing even better. Yes. Oh, absolutely great. right. You sound you sound like you weren't all that sure about that. I, I wasn't sure. I heard <laughs> a, a few years ago about a bird that they think hibernates. Yeah, the, some scientists say it does true hibernation. Others say it just goes into what they call torpor, which is torpor. close to hi- hibernation, but not not quite the same as a, a bear would do, I guess, right. but, but very close. Sure. Yeah, the common poor will, a really fascinating bird. Donald, nice work, and that, that is correct, and we will send you that beautiful Droll Yankees feeder if you'll hold on. Sure, thank you, Ray. Thanks, Donald. All right, the... the um, the common poor will, our mystery bird. And with that, we have run out of time for our show this morning. Thank you so much for being with us. We hope you'll visit our website, TalkingBirds.com, and our Facebook and Twitter pages at TalkingBirds. And uh, send us an email anytime. Give us your thoughts and suggestions about our little show here. We'd appreciate that. Ray at TalkingBirds.com is the address. You've been listening to an Encore Talking Birds presentation from February of this year. We'll return with an all-new show next Sunday morning. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. On the web at birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart. Go to bostonharborislands.org for more information. Everyone's talking birds. I love that show. 